This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 24. You know, beings that this is the day after Christmas, I figured that this was appropriate. One of the most glorious messes in the world is the mess created in the living room on Christmas Day. Andy Rooney said that. In a word, truth. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hertzberger. No sponsor for the show today, as it's the day after Christmas. I'm sure we're all relatively through with buying things, at least for the moment. So let's go ahead and get on with the show. Today, I'm interviewing Christy Reeves. Christy is an actress and producer in Hollywood, and she has produced a documentary series called The Children of the Rainbow, as well as been involved with a lot of other projects. You can find out all the stuff that she's up to at her website. That would be at christyreeves.com. She is also the host of the show, the radio show, Rebel Hearts with Christy Reeves, which is also converted into podcast format where you can find it in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Christy has had an interesting road. She was born in a little town outside of Frankfurt, Germany, made her way to doing musical theater in Vancouver, and then from there has made her way down to Los Angeles, where she's been involved in several films on both the acting, production, and directing side. Uh, Really interesting conversation. She's got a really neat take on uh, childhood development, and that's basically the subject of her documentary series. I really had a lot of fun with this one. She's had a lot of really neat experiences in finding ways to bootstrap film productions. A lot of really great advice if you're out there and you've been thinking about putting together some form of a video production but are a little intimidated by the size of the numbers that are involved in putting together stuff like this i think you'll really enjoy this episode christy has had to really sort of scrap to put together the funding for a lot of the projects that she's been involved with up to this point in her career, which is a lot of really great advice for people that are just getting into it or have been wanting to get into it, but don't really know where to start or where to find the money or how to find ways to get around needing an enormous budget to put together a video production. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do as well. Um, Again, Again, with this being the day after Christmas, I hope everyone out there had a wonderful Christmas, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I know I did. Without further ado, I bring you Christy Reeves. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Christy, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me. I'm so excited to do this with you today. Ah, no problem. Um, the in it, the audience had heard a little bit about your background, sort of where you where you're from, uh, what you're doing, you know, with regards to your career, your industry a bit during the during the intro. But I wanted to leave most of it for sort of your own explanation because clearly you know yourself better than we know you. Um, so why don't you just take a minute and just sort of explain a little bit about your background, what you do? They know about the um, your documentary series. I mentioned that on the intro, but nothing much beyond that. Would you mind just kind of going into a little bit about sort of what what brought you here, meaning U.S., and what brought you 
sort of into the film industry itself and just kind of let, we'll see where it goes from there. Yes, absolutely, Jason. Before I moved to Los Angeles, I had started doing musical theater up in Vancouver, Canada, and I totally fell in love with it. I'd been dancing since I was seven years old. And doing musical theater, I thought I should do some acting and take some acting classes so my musical theater performance are getting better. So that's all what started in Vancouver. And then I figured, well, the city to study acting and do the acting is probably Los Angeles. So one day I just packed my stuff and took my car and drove to L.A. And I had signed up for a three-year acting program at a school in Hollywood. Nice. So, so I did that. And, um, and, you know, I have a German accent, so I was booking little gigs, but it wasn't as satisfying as it was. And I wasn't, you know, it felt like I was going out for fast food. That's what I always say, because a lot of the roles I was going out there, it wasn't really what I was craving and looking for. Sure. And one day, one of my acting coaches who also had a production company said to me, stop complaining and start becoming proactive. <laughs> Why don't you start interning at my my production company and you can just see what what production looks like and learn everything about it mm -hmm. so i started assisting the head producer on a film that they were um, prepping and i actually really fell in love with film production at that time so i worked at his company for a while and then got hired by another major film production company here in los angeles to help produce a series of films okay and that's how I got into film production. I've been doing it since 2006, seven around that time, and I'm absolutely in love with it. Gotcha. So going on, going on 10 years. Going on 10 years, yes. Got it. Now, how, how long were you on the acting side before you started to – first, before you decided to experiment more on the production side – and then like once you started messing around a little bit on the production side, and I guess really even still to this day, like do do you still prime do you still look for acting? Were you still looking for acting or do you still looking look for acting opportunities? Or are you have you totally changed teams? Like are you you're on the production side and that's what you do now? I think a big part of my life is now the production side, but I know we're working on a couple of projects where I'm gonna be acting as well. Okay. And gotcha. Yeah, so I think it, it, I was here in Los Angeles from 2000 till 2006, mainly focusing on acting. And then in 2006, the, um, the production came in. And before that, I was doing music and theater for three years up in Vancouver. Got it. Got it. Oh yeah, you mentioned you mentioned musical theater. You said you've been dancing your whole life. Out of goofy curiosity, what what style dancing were you, were you doing when um, earlier on in your life? I was a ballerina, Jason. I went to the Royal Academy of Dance and studied classical ballet. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, like, which which is another way of saying you're retired. Like retired from the sport at the age of nineteen. When you <laughs> when, it was like when you've gotten too old. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Although I was really lucky, I transitioned into jazz dance and modern dance, a little bit of tap. I tried hip hop, but I had too much posture to do hip hop, so I kind of gave up on that. <laughs> um, and and then I ended up choreographing a few shows, but I still take dance classes. I still enjoy my lyrical jazz on Saturday mornings and on Tuesday afternoons. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's it it's come up a couple of times in. Uh, on on different episodes of the small moves podcast in the past that not uh, me and both me and my wife, Carrie, were both um, like Lindy hop dancers, blues dancers. Mm. 
So sort of got got into got into that. That's actually how the how that's actually how we met. Sort of roundabout way. Sort of how we met. So I'm I'm always curious when people are when people are dancing outside of a professional setting. Like I'm always kind of curious, just sort of curious what uh, what draws them to that. I mean, obviously, if if you were at the Royal Academy, you'd been doing it from from a relatively young age. It sounds like I imagine, right? Yeah, I said when I was seven years old. Jeez. <laughs> was like, so not as much your choice, maybe just a little bit. Uh. <laughs> I actually wanted to do it. I so wanted to dance. Even when I was four or five years old, my parents would put on the TV and I would be a ballet on the TV and I would dance around the living room. Oh. And then when I was seven, I actually convinced my mom to allow me to take ballet classes. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. My, my, my toddler, my two and a half, my all of two and a half year old right now, Zoe, whenever uh, music starts playing in the room, if she's not, if she's not completely focused on something else going on, whether it be drawing or playing or whatever it is. If, if music comes on in the room, she'll literally just kind of stand up and start dancing around the room. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. That's amazing. Here you go. Yeah. Got to dance another dance in the family. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, so that, that's what brought you to LA now out of curiosity for, for acting. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously LA is very well known for its, film industry for obviously for obviously uh but new york on the other hand is more for stage acting and also also film but primarily for stage acting did you ever consider at the time had you considered new york as well as la or were you always focused on la and why and why why did you make that choice um, I was actually looking at New York at that time. I was looking at different conservatory programs in Los Angeles and New York. Okay. And then I talked to my acting coach up in Vancouver who actually lived in L.A. for many, many years and was quite successful here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if you really want to do film, and I would suggest you going to school in Los Angeles because you also want to go to school where you want to break into the industry. Because the thing about acting is you can go to UCLA or USC, which are the top schools here in Los Angeles, and they have an amazing acting program as well. But when you audition, when you go out for the job, no one looks at if you have a BA or an MFA. They look mm-hmm. at your skills and if you look the part. So yeah. it's it's in, in my coaches, like it's so much about connection and meeting the right people. And so you can get an agent or even get a gig and you hear stories about people who are really famous, like Robert De Niro and Car- Robert Carradine actually worked together. They did short films while they were in acting school. So, <laughs> I, did, so I didn't know that story. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's like so much about just meeting people and, and getting your, your tribe together in order to, to be working. So that's why I considered Los Angeles. But I lived in New York for six months and did a show over there. I did an off-Broadway musical in New York. Okay. Was that... Was that while you were still doing music theater in Canada or was that after you moved to the U.S.? You temporarily went to New York and then came back to L.A.? Yeah, it was around 2000 and at the end of 2006. I had already started working at my friend's production company and then I went to New York. I I booked the show and I did the show and then came back to Los Angeles to keep working in production. Got it. Yeah, so it, it's a, it's interesting. I I like I know how you mentioned about the uh, about the German accent. You in the in the film industry, you have that wonderful term typecast. Mm-hmm. Gotta gotta love that. It's like okay, how it's like how many how many German accent you know women do we need for the product for the productions? I'm sure that number isn't particularly high. I not would that imagine. High, no. no, not that um, high. 
your um out of goofy curiosity on that point your your accent has that over the years has it diminished at all or is it how how the get how the audience is hearing you now is this sort of how you sounded 10 to 15 years ago when you were initially breaking in or has it sort of waned over time it's actually waned quite a lot. And when I was at that conservatory program, we actually had to take voice and diction classes. And then my one of my coaches put me into the Shakespeare class because he thought that would help me a lot as well to just do Shakespeare and do a lot of vocal exercises. I okay. also used to take singing classes, which I think helped me a lot. And then I met a wonderful man called Robert Easton. And Robert Easton called himself the Robert Higgins of Hollywood. And and he was coaching a lot of the big stars, and we happened to meet at an after a board meeting. After it's one of the acting unions over here in Los Angeles, and he said, "Of and his grandfather turned out to come that he was from the same area in Germany that I was from. So we immediately clicked, and he said to me, "I will help you work on your accent." And there's a man who has coached first Whitaker for The Last King of Scotland and Melanie Griffiths for Working Girl. So that oh, was wow. the, the acting, uh, the dialect coach I was studying with. So the guy, the guy has a little bit of experience. Yes, he does. Like. Yes, he does. He was <laughs> an absolutely incredible, incredible coach. And so, and yeah, go ahead. Here. I'm sorry. He was very picky. I remember I was in, in Germany one year and I had to call him several times and I would leave voice messages on his machine. And he had one of those old machines with a cassette player at that time still. And I came back from Germany for my first class. He's like, Christy, sit down. And he played all my voice messages that I had left. He's like, are you hearing how much stronger your accent got during those two months in Germany? Oh, God. <laughs> Now, I just speaking speaking for speaking for the audience. Just want to uh, clarify something from what you just said. What's a cassette tape? It's like one of those little, <laughs> mach- <laughs> yeah, exactly one of those. And it was so cute. We had one of those little machines. <laughs> Still. <laughs> oh my god, that that's funny. Wait, as, but as, in a situation like that, that has to be almost terrifying. Like you you've got you have your instructor, and he sits here he's like here like before the day <laughs> before the days of social media and call recording and you know live streaming and whatever it might be. Here here's this guy that you were just picking up the phone and calling and leaving a message to and here he is like all of your recordings and just sort of playing them back to you like that's got to be mortifying like I know the first time you and I'm sure this wasn't the first time you heard your own voice on on record considering the industry that you're in yeah but that that sort of had to be a little bit of a crushing moment where it's like oh god do I sound like that I'm sorry (laughs) it was okay he was very kind about it and we laughed afterwards (laughs) (laughs) He had a good sense of humor. I know, Matt. Yeah, he was like, you sort of have to working in, in li- living in that living in that town, working working with the sort of personalities that you mentioned. Like you, you've got to have a personality, otherwise, there's no way that you'd be able to handle it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but once you shifted to the production side of the business, you you mentioned you worked with a small company and then you got a position at a larger production company after that. Yes. Like at what, at what point did you handle sort of your own productions versus sort of being an assistant producer or like an associate producer or an assistant producer on any, on the projects that you were working for with these other companies? Like when did you sort of 
get handed the reins for the first time? Did that happen relatively early on on small projects or did that take a while? It happened pretty much right away when I started working at the second production company I was with. Okay. And and I had so much fun, Jason. It was amazing to just put the projects together and be able to call different people and really seeing the project come alive, so to say. Got it. What was what was the first project that you worked on? If you're if you're allowed or willing to say, we were actually doing a series of project um, projects. A woman I was working with, she had written several scripts, and we were pitching the scripts to different financing companies, different production companies, to see if we could collaborate. And one of the scripts we called it the Irish script because it was it played in Ireland. Okay, um, we were actually, um, and I cannot. I think it was was. At the very beginning stages, about a year in, which is pretty quickly in, in film production, that we found a company that um, was able to connect us to financing people, which is always the trickiest part in, in film production because here's the thing. A financing company wants you to have A-list actors attached to the script because it's the A-list actors that will in the end sell the movie. So, it, you know, if you have, tickets, yeah. yeah, exactly. So if you have a George Clooney attached or Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts, you know, it's, it's a pretty good chance that you will actually sell that movie. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the agents won't even take meetings with you unless you have the money in place. So it's like this catch-22 that you cannot even get a meeting with the agent or no actors will attach their name to it until you have financing. And you don't get financing until you have an actor attached to it. So that's a little bit of a catch-22. Yeah, that that's that sounds like a, that sounds like the same thing that sort of goes on in the fi- in the finance industry, mm-hmm. like going back through you know through the beginning of time. It's like, yeah. okay, I need to borrow fifty thousand dollars to start a business. Great, can you give us collateral of fifty thousand dollars? No, I don't have fifty thousand dollars because if I did, I'd use that to go and do what I was going to do. I need to borrow it. Okay, well, we need you to have fifty thousand dollars so that we can give you fifty thousand dollars. Otherwise, we'll not be like our investment won't be secured and like, mm-hmm. but yes, but if I don't have that, it, 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 it becomes this constant back and this constant tennis match, mm-hmm. just back and forth and back and forth. It's like, it's like, I need, it's like, I need the money, but you need the money for us to give you the money, exactly. but I need the money. So that we can have, make the money, but I need the money. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Funny. Mm-hmm. And we were actually really happy because a couple of the agents actually said to us, okay, we will give you this and this actor if you can make us a pay or play offer. So we were able to say to our financing people, hey, we have so-and-so interested as soon as we can make a pay or play offer, which was was really, really good. What does that mean? What does what does a pay and, pay and play offer mean? It actually means that, that the actor is guaranteed the money. Like if they accept the offer, they have to the guarantee that they will receive the um, agreed upon salary. Oh, got it. Whether the whether the show either airs or makes the money back or not, exactly. Right, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, out of goofy curiosity, it sounds like w- whenever there's an established process like that, especially in a one of the smallest big towns, one of the smallest town big cities in the world, like L.A., um, that's sort of built around the whole sort of town is built around a single industry. I'm sure there's some sneaky ways around that sort of process, like either going directly to the actors and sort of bypassing the agent. Like, is that something that you 
had either done yourself at any point or sort of a, a strategy that has worked for you or like what's what are some of the what are some of the tricky ways around that process or is there a way around it at this at this stage i mean there are ways around it and you don't always have to go through the agents i mean i remember i was actually working on a set and i met amy perler Okay. And I said to Amy, I'm like, hey, Amy, I'm working on this show where I'm producing this this film. And I think you would be amazing for the lead character. She's like, hey, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and she said, well, just get in touch with my people and, and have a conversation with them. So when I actually called Amy's agent, I, I was able to say, hey, I met Amy and she said to get in touch with you. So it, it was a little bit of a different approach to the whole thing instead of cold calling and just saying to the agent, we're interested in Amy Poehler for the movie. Got it. And and in Hollywood, you know, like I said, even a lot of people choose to go to UCLA or especially USC if they want to do film production because it's so much about the people that you're meeting or even alumni that comes back and teaches at these schools. So mm -hmm. in Hollywood is really who you know, sure. not necessarily always what you know, but who you know, and. And sometimes there were people who, who were friends with, with an, an A-list actor and where we could actually be personally introduced and say, hey, we have this project that we're working on. Would you be interested? And we actually got a few yeses that way as well. Nice. Nice. The, the, um, one, of the, one, of the, yeah, one of the questions I always had about that, but sort of go, going back to some of these film schools, I hear a, I hear a similar thing when people talk about like the Columbia School of Journalism mm -hmm. up in up in New York City how you know they, they graduate all of these you know eventually highly successful reporters and producers and journalists and eventually like a good chunk of them end up potentially going back to teach for in the film industry though is it is that as common in on the actor actress side of the industry or is that more like say the directors and producers whatnot are like are they the ones that go back i'm i'm just kind of curious like what what of the previous graduate crop have a tendency more to go back and teach because i would think from an actor just getting getting into the frivolity a little bit of the of the acting industry if you're a mid-20s beautiful blonde haired blue eyed you know american classic actress that's six feet tall from texas you almost don't want to sort of waste those mid you know those 20s years you know standing in a classroom you want to be acting like it do, do the actors go back maybe later on in their careers and other areas of the business maybe go back to teach sooner or like what what's sort of the what do you what would you say is sort of the breakdown of the industry that sort of goes back to teach you know, I cannot really say how many people are going back to teach or um, at what age. I know there's even some A-list actors right now who are offering acting classes. Oh, wow. and, and some of them are offering acting classes while still working jobs as an actor. So there is quite a, f a few people that I've heard of who are teaching. Oh, wow. um, I know, especially in film production, there's a lot of A-list producers who have graduated schools such as USC who are going back to teach a master class for a short period of time or just like a one-time thing or, or <clears throat> who might go back and do a lecture at the school just like a two-hour lecture and doing an you know a, a weeknight 
Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are actually going back to their schools to contribute and help other people who are on that journey. Got it. And and and, it. and you and Jason, you mentioned something about you know a twenty-something-year-old blonde actress from Texas, and it's interesting um, because I had a conversation with an acting coach of mine years and years ago, and he said, you know, the, here's the problem, Christy. There are so many roles for twenty-somethings, especially mm -hmm. pretty girls and good-looking guys. But there's yep. also so many people out there who look like that. And there's sure. much fewer, ro fewer roles for people in their 40s or 50s, but there's also much fewer actors who are going out for these roles. So it's kind of the percentage is always the same, no matter yeah. what, what age group you're at. That's so funny. It just, yeah, the, the, because re really it, when you're, and you start to see that you start to see those numbers reflected in the cast of movies. Like I I've noticed that in whether it's TV shows or in movies and you see these entire, like you, you'll see an entire cast of a show that, you know, all of the families and all of the children and all of the characters and the bosses and the bad guys and the good guys. And they're all magically in their twenties and thirties. I'm like, where in the hell on earth is that large, that large percentage of the population all within that demographic? That's yeah. only in Hollywood. <laughs> like they're, they're just, <laughs> well, exactly. I, guess, I guess it's just a glut of actors, like a, a, a glut of talent. Like that's where mm -hmm. it's like, by by those later ages, either actors or actresses that haven't, you know, done what they've wanted to accomplish in the career, they've moved on and they don't want to bother mm -hmm. once they get into quote unquote middle age. <laughs> you hate to use that. He's like, like yeah. <laughs> with middle middle age, middle age for Hollywood starting at the age of 25. <laughs> exactly. you know, it just it's funny. Just the, yeah, but it, that's like the only place in the world where you see that demographic. It's like, what is like, where on the planet is the average age 20? It's like 27, six foot two, and beautiful, <laughs> beautiful skin. I'm like, exactly, okay, yeah. okay, welcome to. Welcome to LA. Exactly. It was actually interesting. I was at the award ceremony of a film festival that just closed in Los Angeles on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of talk about ageism and a lot of actresses going up there saying, hey, I'm 61, I'm 48, please write some roles for me. Piper Laurie was honored. <laughs> and she's, I think she's, she said she's 85 and she just finished another movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, so she's like, and I'm up for another one. I'm 85. So write some roles for an 85 one year old so it's it's you know they're <laughs> so th there is a lot of talk about ageism and and to actually contribute or, or write content that goes for all ages and all types and all ethnicities well it's it's go ahead i was gonna say it's it's interesting because i was just listening to what one of the, um i i'm my, the audience is well aware that not only do I produce this podcast, but I'm also an avid podcast junkie. I listen to way more than I could, you know, be when I could be doing productive things elsewhere. Um, but one of the shows that I listened to, they were mentioning about a stand up, uh, a stand up comic. Uh, that's in the business right now named Ari Shafir, uh, who's who's based out of New York. And his father, who is 80 years old, and he just ran and finished a marathon wow. at, 80, at 80 years old. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing how that the the publicity of this information 
is changing people's perspectives mm-hmm. on age. It's like, yeah. I mean, God, 80, 80 years old, like, that that guy's just on borrowed time. Like, that guy's on borrowed time. He should just be sitting there on his porch and reading a book. Like, what the heck is he doing? Like, but that that's the old stereotype. Exactly. But now, it's like, it's like people are doing so much more at such later ages. It's mm-hmm. amazing. To, it's really amazing to watch. But my question is, like, is that, and you can kind of speak to it from the film industry, is like, these people that have been in the industry for 50, 60, 70 years, like they're getting better. They're not getting worse. And the, like the, the, if the roles are there for them to take, they're incredible at the work. It's just now in the, I'll, I'll talk like an old guy for a second in this age of social media, mm-hmm. you know, the, the stories are finally getting out. Like I'm sure, I'm sure Ari Shafir's dad isn't the first 80 year old to run 26, 26.2 miles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure he's probably not the first one, mm-hmm. but now we're hearing about it just because exactly. how because of how easy is, it is to get information out today. Absolutely. Like, um, yeah, I mean, what 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 is it? What other examples of stuff like that? Just ba- based on your the production side of your career, like, have you worked with any other like actress actress or actresses that are that are sort of those like Hollywood lifers that have just have you have you had any projects that incorporate incorporate them into some of the projects that you've worked on? The one thing I'm not I don't have a firm grasp on is just because the nature of how production in Hollywood works. I can look on IMDb and see the projects that you're associated with, but that might not reflect the. 5,000 other projects that you worked on but then didn't get funding or that you worked on and then they pulled the plug on production halfway through or, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, I can see the names associated with the projects that have made it to the interwebs, but, you know, we don't see the others. Like, what, what, what's been your experiences with, with that in the past? Well, I, I should share a little bit with you before um, we, we recorded this. Um, when I was working at the production company, we actually got uh, three of our scripts got picked for this big project of financing. They had 10 scripts all together, the production company, and they'd pick three of ours. And they had a financing company in place ready to pay us the money. Okay. And... And talking about ageism, two of the scripts actually had actors in their 50s and 60s as the lead characters. Okay. So it would have been amazing. And what you do is when when you're looking for financing, we call it packaging the script. So so what I did as the producer on these projects, I had, you know, the you, you do a one sheet, which is a one page information sheet that you can hand out that pretty much just has a quick breakdown of what it is what what um, the content is, what the story is, what genre it is. Is it drama? Is it comedy? Is it um, sci-fi? Whatever it is, the lengths of the movie. And mm-hmm. you can kind of figure out the lengths. Usually it's one page is about one minute. So if you have a 90-page script, it's going to be a 90-page movie. Got it. And okay. then you want to attach a wish list. Or even actors that were attached. And that was the situation where I was able to talk to a couple of production companies and um, agents and say, hey, we're interested in so-and-so playing the lead role in our film. And they said, well, if you make a play or pay offer, we will attach XYZ to the script. We were also, because it was one of them was shooting in, in Ireland, 
And, and, you know, when you're a Hollywood production company reaching out to actors in Ireland mm-hmm. and agencies in Ireland, it's a little bit easier than reaching out to agencies and actors in Los Angeles, in Hollywood. Because they go, hey, there's Hollywood wanting me to play in this big film. <laughs> and I'm an Irish actor. I'm really well known over here, but this could be my chance to get into Hollywood. Yeah. And... Um, what so what we did is we, we went directly to the agencies in 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 the UK and that's how we were able to attach certain people. We also got an A list um, casting um, company who would have done the remaining of our casting. Okay. I did some cold emailing to different production companies in Ireland because you know there's certain things with taxes and productions and laws and regulations that I didn't know about working you know coming from Los Angeles that might have been different than how production works so we really really wanted to have an Irish co-producer and we actually found someone and in the process of us packaging the script she got nominated for an academy award for best born short film oh wow which which was really amazing because we could say hey we have a co-producer in Ireland who was nominated for an academy award how amazing is that sure and then i reached out to what we call the department heads a department head is Okay, so one one department is makeup and hair. One department is sound. One department is editing. Got it. So we reached out to different people who could have worked as department heads in our movies, and we reached out to people who were really well-known in the industry, who had received even awards for their work, and we got amazing people attached. We found a director of photography, a DP, who had worked on BBC shows. He does a lot of the Jane Austen movies for BBC, and he said, I would love to work on your show. So we actually really packaged the script, attaching some really amazing people. And then with the script, you also want to break down, okay, how much money is it going to cost in each category? And what is the expected return? And what is your strategy of getting this movie out into the world? Which in independent production, it usually goes production, completion, and then submissions to film festivals and hoping that the film will gain enough exposure and enough awards for a distribution company to pick it up. So and we, that's that's where you hear like for for us for people like me that aren't particularly familiar with sort of the inner workings of the industry that's where like we hear about it's like the, this this movie took first place in the Sundance Film Festival exactly you know whatever like so that Sundance as an example is one mm-hmm. of those that you're is one of the I would assume there there's many but that's sort of one of the ones that you're sort of referring to there, right? Exactly. And there is so many film festivals right now. And Sundance is one of the biggest. If you can get into Sundance, it's very good. <laughs> so so that is one of the things. And then also talking about PNA, which is, you know, promotion advertising. The One of the producers we were working with, she said, you know, unfortunately, Christy, a lot of these movies never really make it because all the money is spent on production and and completing the film. And then there's no more money left over to actually promote the film or even submit it into film festivals. Some of these film festivals, you know, are a hundred dollars. So you have 10 festivals, that's a thousand dollars. You have a hundred festivals, that's $10,000. And then you have to make posters and and postcards and X, Y, C. So a lot of these movies never really gain the exposure because there's not enough money for PNA. So she said, we want to make sure that we put it in our budget to actually get enough money to get the film out. 
Let me ask that question there. Whose job is that to manage that part of the process? Like the when when you know that your pot is five hundred thousand dollars or five hundred million dollars, whatever it is, like whose job whose job or is there a department, I guess, depending on the size of the project? It might be a department of people versus an individual. But generally speaking, buck stops here. Like whose job is it to manage the budget of a film? If you know that you've got five if you if you've got a five million dollar budget for an independent film, um, for like a even even if that's on the higher end of an independent film, I don't know. Like that that's the one that's Side note, that's the one thing about the film industry that just floors me. Like the, when when you talk about the numbers, like you'll you'll see this movie over here is like, what was the production cost of that movie? That movie is like that short film that was 37 minutes long and had that has not a single actor that I've ever heard of in my life. The production value of that was $37 million. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> you are so like, right. Yes. Oh my God. Like and is like and it didn't take place in President Trump's golden hotel uh, golden apartment in New York City. I'm like, where where in the name of God did that money go? And then, and then you see other, you know, two plus hour feature length independent films that make it to the big screen where the production cost was a quarter of a million dollars. Uh-huh. And like, how, 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 <laughs> like what, who's, like, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Like how, how, how is it possible for the numbers to sway so widely? Like I understand I understand the massive big budget stuff. I understand Star Wars. I understand full length digital animation movies. I understand Waterworld. Like, I understand why stuff like that costs a lot of money. But w- when you step below that to where you're not blowing up buildings and you're not having a full cast of 30 people, all of whom have previously been nominated for Academy Awards. Like once you step below that to the level of, you know, normal movies or independent films, how can the cost sway? How can the cost vary so widely? I totally get what you're talking about. It was actually interesting. The very, one of the films that we were looking at for every single film, we had a minimum budget Mm-hmm. A medium budget and our wish budget, <laughs> <laughs> and sure, and it's like and I'm like, okay, we can do the the movie for let's say two and a half million, but it would be better if we had five million, and if we can have ten million, I'm like that would be an easy ride because there's so many hidden costs, like let's say the the, the Irish movie, we actually had our low budget at two point five million dollars, and then the high budget at ten, but in that ten million dollar budget, there was three hundred thousand dollars for example just for that promotion and advertising so we could get the movie out and we wanted to make sure we could hire a company that would get the movie so much p you know pr that it would be seen and then you know we also talk about actor salaries some some actors will look at a project especially if it's more of an a-list actor and they will say i really really like this project it's something that is really interesting or a lot of actors are actually looking for 
looking at independent movies and some of these independent movies because of its nature, they actually, th you know, might go, oh, this is something that could actually get me some awards or some nominations. Just look at Hilary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. She, she did that movie for, I think, $50 a day <laughs> instead of getting millions. And that is what got her the Academy Award. So uh, yes, because it, it gives her, it, it lets her fill an area of her resume that she might not be cast for exactly, at a bigger yeah. film. It's like, like if I, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a studio producer and I'm paying you 25, if I'm paying you 25 to $50 million, you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. Yeah. Like the, there's no, there's no art. Like, and that kind of gets back to the nature of actors. Like that takes away a lot of your artistic freedom. I would imagine. Absolutely. You know, it's like you're absolutely getting paid. Like the, if you're not, a moron with your money. This one movie will get you and your children and grandchildren paid forever. Yeah. <laughs> but in return, in return for that, you have to sit down, shut up and do exactly as you're told. Whereas like the, the independent stuff, I imagine if, you know, if I were to produce, if I were going to try to produce a short film myself and I was going to try and get Robert De Niro on the film and be able to promise him a hundred bucks a day, mm -hmm. I'd imagine he would be a little bit more forceful with his opinion of how things should go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, justi and justifiably so. Mm -hmm. Like, justifiably so. It's a charity. Like you said with Hillary Swank and Boys Don't Cry. Like, that's a charity case for, mm -hmm. for an actor at that yeah. level. I mean, they're, 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 they're doing that as a pure, I don't need, like, I've made some money already. I don't need the income and this sounds fun. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to help them out. Oh, by the way, you know, you end up getting an Academy Award because she has that freedom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's funny. Absolutely. So that that is why we're looking at different budgets. And then also equipment is so expensive. Um, and you want to get really good equipment. Then it also depends how many days are you shooting most independent productions actually take 25 to 30 days to shoot especially if you're one of those lower budgets that's usually how much time you spend on a feature film if you okay. have you know I never, I never knew that that was i never knew that that was actually the targeted time frame like sometimes you see like you see the you see the advertising ramp up for some of these movies mm -hmm. where they they're advertising these movies for like a year and a half I'm yeah, like yeah. how in the how on earth are they filming these releasing all this stuff this far ahead of time the movie like clearly the movie must not be done yet like the we're a year and a half from release but i guess it's true like they they, they film it in they film the movie in september they wrap by mid-october mm -hmm. they start advertising at that christmas for the following year's new year i'm like oh my god yeah, yeah exactly and especially if it's a, a large production with you know a studio movie Let's say, you know, you're Michael Bay and you have $100 million to spend on your movie. You have three months to shoot this movie instead of 25 days. So that <laughs> is also the different budgets that we're bringing in. And, and, and you know, you, you do like 20 takes from each angle, whereas an independent film, like, okay, two, three takes, moving on. <laughs> yep, move, moving on, good enough, got to get a move on, yeah. Exactly. Like the, yeah. It's like the it's like our budget for the day is five thousand dollars, so we have to get done in twelve hours, period. It's like because it because it costs two you know two thousand dollars an hour for the staff or five thousand dollars an hour for the staff. It's like okay, this is how much time we have. Each take is going to take what twelve minutes? Nope, 
nope, that last one was good enough. Let's move on. And and just like a little inside information, the only person who doesn't do that is Clint Eastwood. A friend of mine, he worked with Clint on a couple of movies, and he says Clint Eastwood rehearses his actors before he starts shooting, so everybody has their stuff down before they even go into production. And oh, he knows wow. exactly what he wants, and he is so prepared that quite often he only does a couple of takes, and then he moves on to the next shot or through the next angle or to a close-up or a wider shot. And and Clint does not most of the movie sets you work on ten hours, twelve hours, fourteen hour days is it's it's really normal. Clint oh, Eastwood works eight hour days and on Friday he raps at two. <laughs> wow. I had no idea about that. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So it's 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 a little bit different when you work on a Clint Eastwood movie compared to working on a Michael Bay movie. I worked on a Michael Bay movie and I was shooting fourteen hour days. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, when when you were when you were doing that Michael Bay movie, were were you on the acting side or were you on the production side? I was on the crew side. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's that's so interesting. No, I for for people that might be thinking it in their heads, like I want I wonder if that's just because of because of um, Clint Eastwood's age. He's like. You you know what i'm not working that goddamn long it's like i'm just it's like it's like i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna expect my people to be prepared and i'm he's like i'm not working more than eight hours i need to go take a nap <laughs> exactly <laughs> but no he's he's put out great stuff and and that's sort of been his format going back to when he first really started getting into the directorial side as well i mean that that's not that's not a new phenomenon with him like that's been sort of his mo for a while, I imagine. I think so because my friends started working on his shows when 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 Clint Eastwood first started directing movies. So I think it's been like that for most of his films. Wow, God, that's got to be a godsend for 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 step for the crews. I mean, I know you actually have a life when you work on a movie. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's funny. Have, have you ever have you ever had the opportunity to work on a project of his or no? No, not yet, unfortunately. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, getting getting back to the sort of your progress through the through the production side. Obviously, you you work with a larger company. Mm-hmm. You you've worked with a larger company. You've done some big bu- bigger budget stuff that way. You've done some smaller independent stuff. Now, you at one point you tra- did a, a transition to sort of producing some of your own projects as well, including a documentary series, right? That's correct, Jason. Yes. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about that project. I, I mentioned, I mentioned in your intro that you had produced a, a documentary series that's, is it now I saw four seasons. Is it still ongoing or did you wrap it four seasons? We are still going at it. Um, I'm actually just in the process of emailing with people to set up interview shoots for season five. Okay. Yeah. So t- yeah. tell the audience about the show. Like, tell them what tell them what it's called, where they can find it, and just sort of get give give us a little bit about sort of how how you came up with the idea for that project and sort of what what it's about. Yes, absolutely. So the show is called The Children of the Rainbow, and our subtitle is Changing the World by Changing the Way We Raise Our Children. Okay. And it's you know I I love producing conscious media. I've done you know silly black comedies and crazy stuff like that. But I also really really am it's inspired by conscious media. And when I was working on these big budget films, there was one film about children with special abilities. 
And we know them as the Indigo and the Rainbow Children. That's the title, The Children of the Rainbow. And I said okay. to our producer at that time, like, I, I feel like we need to make a documentary about that. We need to, you know, educate the people that this is not just something fictional, that these kids with are out there in the world and, and what is going on about them and how many children nowadays are being labeled with ADD and ADHD. How many mm-hmm. children are struggling with the school system, the way it is set up. And, and I had this idea, and, and one of my friends who had produced a short film with, we were, we were going back and forth, we're like, how can we do this? How can we bring this forth? And then I met Dr. Kobe Foreman, who's the founder of Bjorn University here in Los Angeles. And it's a university for integrative medicine and psychoneurology. And um, he is all about educating the masses about you know, how we can thrive, how can we can change the world by, he calls it thrivology, how we can, you know, really move into happiness and joy. So his company actually hired me for the media department of the university in order to produce content that educates, that changes something in the world. So that's, oh, that's how cool. it got started. And the cool thing is that I'm the boss, so I can, you know, I'm the person who usually picks the people that we interview and... Um, that's got to help. That's got to help. Yeah. And, and, and people that I'm really passionate about or people that I hear about and, and, and through friends or even on the internet, I'm like, these people are really talking my language and I want to share that information because I think it can help. So that's how the documentary series first came about. And now real quick, you you mentioned about like indigo crystal and rainbow children, like what, what, what differentiates that? Like, what what do those terms mean? Like, for somebody that hasn't watched the documentary, like, what what do those terms specifically refer to? You met you mentioned you know children that are either diagnosed or misdiagnosed with mm-hmm. ADD, ADHD, whatever it might be. But d- define define those three terms and sort of who they apply to. Yes, absolutely. And what I'm saying, like, there are specific characteristics that these kids have. The indigos are the older. Most of them are the older generation and their energy is very much warrior-like. They're the trailblazers. They're really the ones who are challenging existing systems that might not be serving us anymore, that might be out of integrity. They're really pointing out what is working and what is no longer working. They really are the change makers of this world. Okay. And then the crystal children are the philanthropists. They like to work in, in with environmental companies. They like to help animals. They like to do something that helps Mother Nature, that helps our planet. Okay. And then the rainbow kids are, you know, the more newer generations. And I always say it's because the indigos have play, blazed the trail, and I'm an indigo myself. These these rainbow kids, I really hear and able to step forth into their gifts right away. And we see them with these kids who, you know, I constantly have a whole list. I probably have a list of a hundred kids that I want to interview for my, for my documentary series who are creating amazing things at a teenage age. Um, there is, is, a, a kid, like he's actually not a kid anymore. He's 20, but he, he, and he's in the Netherlands. And he was 16 when he found a technology that would actually eliminate the trash from the oceans. I spoke to another girl who is in Turkey, and she was 16 when she was a, found a method. She developed that method at as a science project in school where it turns banana peels into fossil fuels. 
And and then there's another kid who actually had the chance to interview, and he was nine when he started a non-for-profit organization to plant trees around the world. And his goal is to plant one trillion trees worldwide to counter the effects of C- the CO2 emissions and climate change. And his- Trillion? Like trillion. trillion with a T. Yeah, a trillion trees. His organization is now worldwide. He has 100,000 members, all children, 18 years or younger. And so far, they have planted 14 billion trees around the world. Oh, my God. And hired a scientist to do research how we can keep up the forestation of this planet. So these are the rainbow children. How how old how old is that kid now? Like, I'm, I'm curious about that one. Like, how old is that kid now? He's 19. Like, he found it. Okay, so he found it at 10 years 10 ago. 10 years ago. So in 10 years, he has an organization that is uh, consists of 100,000 kids. And he actually teaches something called a, a tree planting academy, which is a weekend workshop for children taught by children based on Al Gore's climate classes that he's teaching around the world. And he teaches okay. children how to plant trees and why we need to That's plant fair. trees. <laughs> Wow, that is fascinating. I, I need to I need to track this kid down. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give you that. Yeah. yeah, he's amazing. Felix Finkbeiner, if you want to look him up, and his organization is called Plan for the Planet. That's a Felix Finkbeiner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. I was like, what, nothing, what was I doing at nine? <laughs> if I was gonna I was gonna say what 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 stupid pointless what stupid pointless things were where I was I doing when I was nine exactly, years old? Exactly. Yeah. God, Felix Finkbinder. If that kid, if that kid doesn't have a name, a name that belongs in headlines, I don't know who does. That's, that's a that's a great name. Anyway, okay. So, all right. So that's the Indigo Crystal Rainbow. Now, so the the show is going on four seasons, and I see that you know you interview people um, on on this on the topic of the show um, of the interviews that you've done. Just speaking, I'm speaking to this, and my audience, please mm-hmm. apologize. This is me geeking out a little bit, but. <laughs> Of, of the people that you've interviewed, who have you found sort of one of the more fascinating people that you've talked to on this topic? Like, who, what what's been one of your favorite interviews, and and why? Like speaking speaking as an interviewer, and also you you have and something that I didn't mention earlier is you also have your own podcast. Yes. So you 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 touch on you touch on this type of stuff already um Mm -hmm. on your on your own show so i'm curious i'm curious of the people that you've interviewed um who like who has been i guess either most influential with regards to sort of the the moving forward of that series or just give me an example of a good conversation that you've had with on on the uh the documentary series and what what was it that made it particularly interesting i had the honor to interview diana cooper and okay. Diana is not, you know, a lot, a lot of people unfortunately know her in the U.S., but she's really well known in the U.K. Okay. And she actually she agreed to be part of my documentary series, and I was traveling through England at that time with my parents, so had I had reached out to her um, organization prior to that, and said that I would be in in London on that day, and then traveling around the west part, western part of the UK, and if Diana wanted to be interviewed, and that these interviews are done in person, and she actually said yes. And Jason, I've I've worked on shows with A list actors in Hollywood. I was never as starstruck as I was when I met Diana Cooper. I came to her house and I didn't even know what to say. I couldn't even talk because I was so starstruck because I admire this woman so much. 
And and then after and, and then I got to interview her and we had an amazing interview. And usually when we do an interview, we divide it into two episodes. And I said to and I sent it to my editor and he's like, I don't even know what to cut out. Every single thing that she says, it's just incredible and amazing. <laughs> so we ended up doing a three-part interview series with her. And she talks about these kids that are really coming in to create change and why some of these kids are even choosing you know, families where, where it might be more challenging. But I also feel like there is so much, you know, we look at the state of the world at the moment and there is so much devastation and sometimes even despondency or hopelessness, you know, even amongst my circle of friends or people I talk to. And her interview was so uplifting and really giving us hope, hope for the future, hope that we have the, you know, something will change and also motivation, inspiration that we have the power to change something that, you know, it's, it's up to us to create the changes that we desire. So that was one of the interviews. And it also, because Diana is so well known and she promoted her interview that she did with us, it really opened up a whole another port door for us, for, for, and for our audience. That's great. Now, well, one of the things that I've kind of noticed is sort of a theme of theme of this is, um, you're you're interested in f- trying to figure out a way to basically create, co- like create information, create content, and sort of get it out to the world. That's that's sort of what's happening with the documentary series. When when you sort of made the shift in your career from the acting side to the production side, that's when you sort of could changed over from being the purely artistic side of the industry to is like this, this project has a message. We need to figure out a way to sort of get it out to the world. Um, I know one, one of the things that you mentioned um, prior to us recording was how prior to, prior to this documentary series, you put together a project on nearly no budget um, because funding fell through sort of at the last minute. Can you talk, can you tell the audience a little bit about that experience? Because of, of all the stuff that we've talked about, about being in, about the film industry and about your documentary series for people that are interested in, trying out something or trying out something new, which is just generally the theme of the small moves podcast. Um, a lot of people like, especially if they're looking to dabble in a new project, Mm -hmm. they might not necessarily be working with the biggest budget in the world. Like, so how, how does one go about that? Or at least how did you go about that? How would you recommend people that are listening go about that process? Like if they've got an idea for, if they have an idea for a vi- a video or movie related project, or they think that that might be the avenue that would be best to disseminate the information that they want to get out there, like how how can people sort of take steps in that direction? Like tell us how tell us what you did, and then tell tell us what you think uh, people that are listening could maybe have an, in their sort of bag of tricks as they want to try and get some information out themselves. Yes, absolutely. And it's so amazing, Jason, what's happening right now compared to five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and the possibilities that are arising pretty much on a daily level to produce content, even, you know, having a podcast nowadays. It's just pretty incredible. And I was actually at a Holly at a convention two weeks ago called Hollywood Digital, where they were talking about the news platforms that are popping up in film production and it's just incredible so it's actually an amazing time to produce content and get your content out and get your content to be seen 
And like you said, I did the project after the big financing fell through and it, and it came out of a little bit out of frustration, that project, but it turned into something really good because we had a three picture deal and we had $60 million of financing offered to us. And as our attorneys were negotiating with the financing company's attorney, the whole money was pulled out from the financing company. And it just, my, everything that I had worked on for years just literally crumbled in front of my eyes. And I was so... I have no idea what the feeling must be, <laughs> what it must feel like to, to watch 10 zeros disappear from a project. I can't imagine. It was <laughs> devastating. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and especially, you know, in film production, you don't get paid until the movie gets fine. And so I had put, spent probably three years at that time working on that budget, on that, on these three projects. And then just to see the money disappear, it was so devastating. And um, and our producer said, "Don't worry about it. We'll just revamp the budgets. We will we'll keep pitching it." And and it never you know came through in the end. And and then I said, "You know what?" I said to to the production company I worked with, "I'm like, let's just do a, a small budget film. Let's just see what we can do. Let's just do a short film, like a ten minute short film." And so we we and and I did two of them. So we what we did is for the very first one, it was actually really cute. I told my friends that I wanted to do a short film, and I needed to raise a little bit of money. So we actually ra- raised the money doing a yard sale. Seriously, <laughs> we did, and all my friends were donating items, and we actually raised half of the budget doing a yard sale. And then another friend of mine said, "I I really honor what you're doing. Here's a check." I just want to donate this money to you so you can put this together. And and we put this together. We actually shot at our old place so we didn't have to pay for a location. We actually had one location and we co- at a store and we convinced the store owner to allow us to film there in exchange for giving them credits in the closing titles. And they let us film there for free. It was amazing. And then you want to also look pretty as an actress. And I was acting in the film and a friend of mine was the director of a makeup school. So I said, do you have any girls for students of yours who want to do this for free for a credit? And she said, yes, because, you know, these girls want to get as much experience while they're in school. So that's how we got the makeup artists together. And then the DP, we were really lucky, had all the equipment, the lighting, the camera, the sound equipment. So we actually had all the equipment we needed. And that's how we did our first film (laughs) and put it together and just submitted it to festivals. And, and, and it was amazing to, and also very satisfying to, after, you know, you had something that fell through and disappeared right in front of your eyes to be able to develop something, produce it, edit it and get it out there. What was the what was the final budget, the final total budget for that project? What did it end up being? Like what was like what did the yard sale project end up getting you guys for the production? <laughs> You're going to love it was $1200. <laughs> oh my god, But but you said it was a 10 you said it was a 10 minute like a 10, a 10 minute, minute thing film? and we shot for 2 days. We filmed at the store for one day and we filmed at our house for one day. But hell, I mean, the, you, you get the pro- $1,200, like you get the project done, you get yeah. something out there. I mean, that that's great. Yeah. I and, mean, yeah. And it was really wonderful because, again, 
what I said earlier on the show, having these connections, meeting people in the industry, and it might not be other actors, it might be people who are writing music, it might be people who are doing, um, you know, editing or sound or being a director of photography. And what we did for that particular project, we pretty much got a group of friends together. And and my roommate at that time, one of her best friends is, is a composer, a singer and a songwriter. I'm like, do you want to write the soundtrack? And she's like, I'd love to. So it was, uh, we got all these people together who were really starting out, who were also kind of like, we wanted to get our work out. They wanted to get their work out somehow. They wanted their music to be heard, or they wanted to have people see how good they were at lighting a shot in order to be hired as a director of photography on other projects that would actually pay a lot of money. So it, it we were pretty much all at the same place at that time where we said, you know what, we just want to create something. We want to create it together. We were most of us were friends or at least acquaintances, and we just got together as a group and created this project and and then got it out there through film festivals. God, that's so funny. <laughs> how many you know, – we were mentioning about all the festivals um, earlier on. Like how, how many festivals did you end up getting that submitted to? I would have to take a look at how many it was for the first one. The second one, we are actually, it's still doing the, the festival round, the second short film we produced, and I, and I played the lead role. It's called Two Oranges and a Lemon, and it's about two girls who kidnap one of the women's ex-fiancés because he was a three-timer. <laughs> so that's the dark comedy stuff I'm doing. And that one is actually still doing the festivals around. We're actually just screened at the Twin City Film Festival last week. And we are screening at Cardiff Film Festival in the UK this week. And that is film festival, I think, number 28. Got it. Got it. That is super cool. All right. So so basically, for, for people that are listening that might want to try and produce something like that on their own, like what – it's it sounds like it sounds like just kind of buckle down and do whatever you can to produce anything you can like for is is the film festival route is the film festival route something that's still i don't want to say necessary but based based on the means of getting published video material out there like is it do you think it's as simple as you know find a friend of yours that might be i don't know a cameraman for your local news station mm -hmm. and just say, Hey, any chance you could accidentally bring your camera home for the weekend? And <laughs> we do, like, I mean, do you, I mean, do you think it's really that simple and then just put some, and then just throw something up on YouTube and start there? Or do you think the film festival, depending on your content, I guess, but do you think the film festival route is still a, the best angle to go if you're really trying to get content out there to the general public. I absolutely believe that. And and again, I can now say that I have a film that got into 28 film festivals and we got two awards. So that so that is actually sounding very good. And, you know, like you said, it's really about content. So you don't want to just produce something, you know, or anything. You actually want to produce something that has good content and that, that also looks kind of decent. And I was really lucky with the second short that we did. Um, the cameraman was extremely, ext he's extremely, extremely talented. So it actually looks really good. It, the editing okay. was that really well done. And the director and I kind of co-produced it. And she she's worked for Universal Studios and she just wanted to do something else. 
so we actually had some really top-notch quality people attached. So the project actually looks really, really good, even though we did it on a lower budget. And I think that's also the reason why it was so successful. So you want to make sure that it's visually looking good, that the editing is good, that you have like good music and sound effects. That this, it sounds good too. And that, you know, the, the story, there's, there's a pretty good storyline. So people are interested in watching it. Um, and then I think it's also a difference between a short film and a feature film. And if you have a feature film, you know, the goal is to actually get distribution in order to make the money back that okay. you raised on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or that an investor gave you. You want to, you know, ultimately you want to sell it and get it, maybe get get a limited release at least in some of the independent theaters and then get it on Netflix or Amazon Prime or even you know, some some companies are even sell it as a download through their website. So you want to make a, a, a quality product that has the potential of being accepted at a film festival, maybe even one of the bigger ones such as Tribeca or Sundance or the Toronto Film Festival and getting distribution of some sort. With the short films, it's a little bit different. The short films, I feel like it's more for you to say, it's it's kind of like a calling card so you can say, hey, I did a short film and it was pretty successful in the film festival round. Or what a lot of people are doing nowadays is they might have an idea for a feature film, no matter, or even a TV series. So they're actually doing a short film kind of as a pilot or as a teaser for that bigger project. Okay. And there are certain film festivals, and I don't know if it's still like that, but I know the Austin Film Festival had a specific category where you could submit a short film that would be the basis for a TV series idea or the basis for a feature film or, like like I said, a calling card to, to get that out there. So that is is one of the ways, you know, to, to get maybe financing or even distribution for a feature film. Okay. Or TV show. All right. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a pretty so- that's a pretty solid point to uh, to wrap up for people to kind of think about a little bit um, because like the the and th- this is something that isn't new to dawn on me, but it's something that I had you know my own struggles with to finally get out, which was you know the the concept behind this podcast. Like I've been thinking about this for years and just thinking about you know the, the the money that it cost or that it could cost to putting putting you know a website together and putting the podcast out there and getting you know getting guests and all the equipment that you need to mm-hmm. produce it and all you know the time that you need to possibly take away from either your family or your work to be able to pull it off like it's it's potentially maddening if you really try to overthink it yeah um <laughs> You know, I, I was I was finally able to get the show off the ground, um, th- you know, this September because I just eventually said the hell with it and let's just go and see what happens. And uh, I could I couldn't be happier with the results. So like it, it, it sounds like the same with for people that are interested in putting together some sort of visual content. It's like, you know, hey, I've got an idea for a movie or I've got an idea for a TV show or I think this would be a great reality show or, you know, whatever it, whatever that little burning little nugget is that's in your head. Mm-hmm. But that, but then they flip on their Google news and show the latest 500 billion, you know, $500 million, three quarter of a million dollar or three quarter of a billion dollar budget, you know, blockbuster that's out there. And they're like, Ugh. yeah, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. <sighs> And the and just they just get totally deflated. It's just like okay, cam- it was like camera thirty thousand dollars, cameraman twenty five hundred dollars a day, mm-hmm. actress is like actor actress. These people are living in five hundred billion dollar mansions, so odds are they're probably not a hundred dollars a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Let me just go to let me just go to work, uh-huh. and they forget and they forget about it, and it just it's crushing, mm-hmm. it's crushing. So no, the, this information is great because it, it I think it I think it's a way for if you're interested if you're if, and if you're listening to this just you know fo- follow Chrissy's advice just figure it out on the cheap and just get something out there like and and then just see where it goes if it doesn't get if your project doesn't go anywhere it doesn't go anywhere big deal but you did it like she mentioned about a calling card earlier it's like this is your is like if you were able to produce something even if you're not able to get it into festivals throw it up for free on youtube the last i last i checked that youtube has a relatively decent size audience <laughs> so there there's a last i che- last i checked there's more than a couple of people that watch YouTube every day. So there's a possibility of somebody seeing it and somebody liking it and wanting to take it to another level. I mean, give it a shot. I mean, that, that's, that's my own, that's, I think my advice for in my summary is sort of what Christy and I've talked about today. Um, Christy, is there anything else that you want to add for the, for the listeners to hear? Yes. What I would, what I want to encourage you to do, because again, there is so much content out there and, you know, and like I said, I was just at a conference and everybody has a different opinion on how to put out your content and how you're going to be successful. And sure. one person says, well, it has to be absolutely visually stunning. It has to be amazing and good. And others are saying, you know, it doesn't. So I feel the best route to really go about this is to just be authentic people. Just what is it? And, 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 and also, what is your special message that you have for the world that you want to share what is it that you are passionate about and then just follow that passion and don't let anyone talk you out of it because it's it's kind of that that inner voice or that inner piece inner song that you have that wants to be sung that wants to be brought forth and you know best what that is and then just follow your your instincts follow that inner voice and and just go for it yeah yeah, no, that's great. Um, you one one last quick question that I've got for you. It's a question that I ask all the guests on the show. Um, with you know the concept of the show being that you know you know you want to take some very small incremental steps that might make a significant difference over time. Um, for the audience, what purchase have you made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less? that's had the most significant impact on your life that you can remember. It could apply to your business. It could be in your personal life. It could be, you know, the surprisingly inexpensive, but amazing microphone that has just ratcheted up your, like the the quality of the audio of your podcast. It could be, it could be anything like what, what would you say um, is that thing for you? And I'll give you a couple yeah. of examples. I mean, just so like the, 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 some of the guests that I've, you know, talked to before that some of them ha- have suggested, God forbid, a book that they happen to have read that, you know, was all of 15 bucks on Amazon, but it just completely changed their perspective for their business and ended up, you know, so, sort of shifting how they produce their business. There was one of them um, that said, like, I, we spent an entire, this was back in episode four. 
six, I believe, of the show, um, when I was talking with uh, Russ Comer. He's a buddy of mine who's a government contractor by day and stock trader by night. And we were talking – we spent an hour talking talking about financial markets and stock trading and timing the market and all those wonderful things. And then when I got around to this question with him, he was like, you know what the best thing was? A $20, a $20 home edics nature sound noisemaker that finally lets my newborn sleep through the night so that I can sleep. <laughs> it, was like, it was thoroughly unrelated, thoroughly unrelated, but like, you know, it could be, it could be an app for your phone that lets you communicate with your project teams better. It can be a lot, it could be anything. Um, but just kind of trying to keep the cost number down, which I know is almost impossible in Los Angeles, but <laughs> You know, can can you think can you think of anything that just sort of just sort of stands out that um, has made has made an impact, you know, in, in your either your personal or your professional life in recent memory? Um, equipment wise, nothing. But because everything I bought recently was pretty pricey. But I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just um, I read a book last year that was so inspiring and it's called how to be like Walt and it's Walt Disney's biography and it shows and especially for someone who's who wants to start a business and it might not even be film it might be something else but it really shows you the journey that Walt Disney went through the struggles he went through even the failures that he went through and the betrayals he experienced early on in his career and his kind of what I said his his passion for what he was doing and the, and also his mission, because there was way more than what we're seeing with, you know, the Mickey Mouse cartoons and, and Disney Studios, that he had this really big vision of changing the world and how that vision drove him all his life and how he never gave up. So that book was so inspiring. And I actually have a whole series of quotes that I have programmed into my phone where I get a positive Walt Disney quote every day. <laughs> Yeah, no, he he was one of the great ones. I I remember the, uh, I read a biography on him as well, uh, like maybe five or six years ago, and it was just it did it it smacked me square across the face about the t the type of impact that this guy was aiming for in his career and the fact that how Disney was not was not and still today like it, it's not built to be a kids entertainment. Mm -hmm. Sure. Like it's like the these movies aren't necessarily made for children. They're made f to convey a message to everyone. It happens. They happen to be cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, so we tend to think that these things are you know just targeted message to kids, but not at all the case. No, I lo I love the book. That that man has an amazing story. I agree. Um, yeah. So Chrissy, this is big. This has been great. Um, tell people about the, tell people the name of your podcast, uh, where they can find it, um, and also um, where on the web people can find you if they want to just give a quick shout out or find out about the projects that you're working on or whatever it might be. Yes, thank you, Jason. I think the best thing is to go to christyreeves.com, K-R-I-S-T-I-E-R-E-E-V-E-S.com. And it has a link to all my shows. Um, 
If you want to tune in, I have a show called Rebel Hearts with Christy Reeves that airs every Wednesday at ubnradio.com, 3 p.m. Pacific okay. time, and it's conversations with changemakers, paradigm shifters. And then after it airs live on the network, it becomes available as a podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, but all the links on christyreeves.com. And if you want to look at our documentary series, go to thechildrenoftherainbow.org, and it has the links to our YouTube channel. It's available on YouTube. And we're, okay. and we're just now releasing the episodes for season four, and there's a new episode coming out every other week. So we released one last Friday, so there's another one coming out next week, Friday. Got it. Yeah. All right. That's perfect. Well, Chrissy, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Jace. It's been such a pleasure talking with you this morning. Uh, absolutely. Take care. You too. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christy. I know I did as well. Just really quickly, you can find all of her information at ChristyReeves.com. That's Christy with an I-E at the end and Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S, ChristyReeves.com. Also, go ahead and head over to the community Facebook page for Small Moves at smallmoves.co forward slash community. That'll take you to the Facebook community page. Let me know what you thought about this show. And also let me know what you think about the show via a review in iTunes. iTunes uses the reviews and the frequency of reviews of a show to help other listeners find the show. And that's something that I'm really looking to make a big push for in the new year. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and leaving me a review on iTunes. That would be super, super duper. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Small Moose Podcast. And I will talk to you next time around. You've got this.